everybody. Welcome back, wonderful people. This is Sidecar Stories. My name is Sam, and today we're reading Chapter 14 of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Now, uh, it's a real treat for you guys today. I'm not wearing a hat because my hair looks mad decent, so just revel in it, enjoy it while it lasts, because I usually don't shower first thing on Sunday mornings, which means that, uh, you know, I come to the stream looking like, I don't know, looking like, um, hmm, like Einstein if he was younger and stupid, um, and like he, he was really into Nirvana, I guess. Uh, today, we're going to be uh, diving in, as usual, to the chapter. First, also as usual, we're going to go over a quick review of what we found out from the last chapter. Let me know how my audio sounds, by the way. I want to make sure that uh, things are sounding crisp for you. I feel like we have to come up with a name for the um, the review. Like the, uh, the, what, shift to reverse? I don't know. Something goofy and fitting with our sort of sidecar theme. By the way, um, as usual, we're going to be chugging along um, at whatever pace the internet allows. For instance, right as I said that, um, my upload rate crashed to zero. So I'll be back in just a moment. Don't you worry. The sidecar that you have just boarded, I would call closest to the motorcycle and sidecar from the Aristocats. I don't remember. I don't know if you guys remember that old piece of rickety junk. Um, but essentially, I would call the internet that I'm working with to be roughly the quality of an old World War One era motorcycle piloted by a basset hound. Sometimes it's fine, kind of by accident, and then much more frequently, it's real garbage. So, thanks for sticking with me. Um, I'm pleased to report that I've got 19 followers right now. Huh. Interesting. I'm hoping YouTube will let me figure out when they're watching the videos, because uh, I don't think it's during the stream, which is perfectly alright if you're... If you're uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to sort out when the best time to stream is anyway. I've been doing it like this for almost... Almost one year. And then unfortunately there's some some bad news. Um, no, no there's not. Never mind. Um, I was just going to say, uh, next week I'm not going to be able to stream. I'm going to have to do some traveling. Um, but the week after that is going to be the one year anniversary of doing these streams. Um, now, don't look too closely, of course, at the description box for this video because you'll see it's only stream number 30. So we have, in fact, missed a number of weeks at this. There was one time where I think I missed like two months in a row. That was rough. And uh, I'm glad to be solidly back into it. And like I said, you know, next week I am unfortunately going to have to travel. This is not... Uh, it, it, non-optional. One of those ones, you know? But I'm actually going to be in the air. No, I'm going to be landing, essentially, at the time when I would normally start. Um, and it'll take me a long time to get back to the apartment. I'm going to be bushed, and it's not going to be worth it. So, that's the update. None next week. Week after that, it's going to be the one-year anniversary of Sidecar Stories. So, today, Chapter 14. First, 
review of chapter 13. Even before that, let me remind you how this works. Um, if you've got anything you want to talk about, that's what I'm here for. I love doing it. Go ahead and put it in chat. Any people you want to ask more questions about, any places that you didn't feel like I covered well enough, anything that you don't understand or that you think is interesting, or honestly, anything regardless of the uh, the topic. It doesn't even have to be Harry Potter related. Um, if it's, you know, pressing and Harry Potter related, I'll probably, you know, find a good stopping point somewhere in the middle of the chapter, and I'd love to have a, you know, quick discussion about it. If it's a longer one, or if it's off topic, we'll wait until the end of the chapter and then we'll talk about it later on. But feel free to use chat. And as always, welcome to Sidecar Stories. So let's review. Last time, lots of clicking, sorry. Uh, last time, Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw. Um, Ron and Hermione are in the midst of a bit of a tizzy. Um, it would appear that Scabbers has been murdered. Scabbers the rat. Um, it looks like... It looks like Hermione's cat, um, Crookshanks, got into the boys' dormitory. And um, the evidence is decent bit of bloodstains. And decent bit of bloodstains. Horrible English. Bear with me. Um, and then some long ginger cat hairs. It's bad news for their relationship. Excuse me. Um, Ron is, of course, furious at Hermione. Um, he, you know, he believes that she didn't keep good enough track of him, kind of let him wander around as he wanted to, and uh, didn't really take it seriously when Crookshanks had made attempts to get at Scabbers before. Uh, Hermione is mad at Ron because she doesn't think Crookshanks did it. Um, and, uh, she's offended that he has, uh, treated her in such a way over the behavior of her cat, allegedly. Um, additionally, they have a big match coming up. Gryffindor does. Wow. Gotta, gotta get my thoughts organized. Um, Gryffindor has a big match coming up. Big Quidditch match. Against Ravenclaw. Uh, they've got a seeker named Cho Chang that we learn about. We don't know much about her quite yet until we get to the game itself, at which point Harry notes she is extremely pretty. Hmm. Could be bad news. Before the game, however, um, they do some practice. Harry has gotten fresh. His, uh, his, um, firebolt is fresh out of testing, um, after being thoroughly, you know, torn down and built back up to check for ho uh, hoaxes, check for hexes because Hermione had some suspicion and McGonagall agreed that this anonymous gift of a firebolt to Harry might be from Sirius Black and might have some curses on it. Turns out it's all clean. As they're practicing, Harry thinks he might see a Grim again, which you guys might remember is this sort of omen, but uh, it's something that Harry has been seeing in the real world, just a sort of shadowy figures of large, large black dogs. Um, so Harry thinks this might be it. Mm, turns out it's Crookshanks in the woods. Ron is furious again. The day of the, f of the, uh, the match, 
It seems like the, all of Gryffindor has come together around Harry and his firebolt. They seem to... Let's see, what's the quote? All of, uh, all of them seem to think that the firebolt deserved a sort of guard of honor. It's a nice broomstick. It's a real nice broomstick. Even the Slytherins are getting a little... A eh, little green over it. Ah, see what I did there? Um, <laughs> now, this, at the start of the Quidditch, uh, the Quidditch match... Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw. This is the first time Harry lays eyes on Cho Chang. And it says, She was shorter than Harry by about a head, and Harry couldn't help noticing, nervous as he was, that she was extremely pretty. Ooh! <laughs> Ooh! <laughs> um, yeah, so Harry may be a bit, uh, a bit smitten. During the whole match, uh, Lee Jordan, who's doing the commentary, is just going on and on about the firebolt. Uh, Cho Chang has an interesting strategy. She kind of tails Harry and um, not really harasses him, just sort of keeps a keeps a close watch on him, follows him very closely, um, and waits for him to spot the snitch, and then goes after it herself. It almost works. It almost works until suddenly there are three Dementors on the field. You may remember Harry has an incredibly rough reaction to Dementors uh, being near him. But he has been preparing for this moment with Lupin. He's been working on his Patronus charm, Expecto Patronum. He screams it down at the field and manages to not only uh, get a, it would seem to him, a proper Patronus out, something shot out of his wand directly at the Dementors, but he doesn't pause to look. He grabs the snitch and wins the game. Of course, he lands and says, I did it, I did it. I, you know, I, uh, the, <laughs> the Dementors didn't even affect me. And comes to find out, surprise, um, they weren't actually Dementors. It's Malfoy, Crab, Goyle, and Marcus Flint, the captain of the Slytherin Quidditch team, all dressed up in black robes. Not good sportsmanship at all. After the win, it's a raucous party. Hermione is not partaking, though. She's still hurting from this feud with Ron. And Harry tries to sort of make it better between them, tries to get them to engage with one another a little bit, to no avail. No luck with it. So, uh, heart still swelled from the, uh, the Quidditch win. Gryffindor... Uh, the, the Gryffindor students go to sleep in the middle of the, wow and in the middle of the night there's a scream it's Ron it would appear uh, that he believes he saw Sirius Black with a knife in the common room um, you know to support that it appears that one of his bed hangings has been slashed now this is one thing I didn't really understand when I first read the the books um they call them four-poster beds. Sometimes they just call them four-posters. Um, but literally, that is four posts, one at each corner of the bed. And those are, instead of just being, you know, about knee height on an adult, um, they are close to, you know, shoulder or head height on me, even. Um, but they're useful because you can hang curtains, essentially, between them and give the person in the bed a little bit of privacy, which is nice in a dormitory situation like this. But uh, one of Ron's is slashed 
and he doesn't appear to be hurt, but he's certainly scared. So the entirety of, you know, the Gryffindor common room is, uh, you know, going kind of crazy trying to figure out, you know, what happened, what happened? And Professor McGonagall shows up and she asks Sir Cadigan, the, the current guard of the painting, uh, that is the entrance to the Gryffindor common room, did you let somebody in just now? And he says, well, of course I did. Huh. What's the situation? Well, turns out somebody wrote down all the passwords for the week on a piece of paper and then left it lying around. Can you guess who? It was Neville. All right. That's the review. Uh, I'm going to go shut the door really quick. I will be right back and we'll get started on the chapter. I always forget to go through and, uh, you know, track my review sections with all the artwork that went with it. Um, as you can see, sometimes it's a little tough to find something good for that particular section. There you go. But uh, I thought it worked okay. Anyway, here we go. Chapter 14, Snape's Grudge. No one in Gryffindor Tower slept that night. They knew that the castle was being searched again, and the whole house stayed awake in the common room, waiting to hear whether Black had been caught. Professor McGonagall came back at dawn to tell them that he had again escaped. Throughout the day, everywhere they went they saw signs of tighter security. Professor Flitwick could be seen teaching the front doors to recognize a large picture of Sirius Black. Filch was suddenly bustling up and down the corridors, boarding up everything from tiny cracks in the wall to mouse holes. Sir Cadigan had been fired. His portrait had been taken back to its lonely landing on the seventh floor, and the fat lady was back. She had been expertly restored, but was still extremely nervous, and had agreed to return to her job only on the condition that she was given extra protection. A bunch of surly security trolls had been hired to guard her. They paced the corridor in a menacing group talking in grunts and comparing the size of their clubs. Harry couldn't help noticing that the statue of the one-eyed witch on the third floor remained unguarded and unblocked. It seemed that Fred and George had been right in thinking that they, and now Harry, Ron, and Hermione, were the only ones who knew about the hidden passageway within it. Do you reckon that we should tell someone? Harry asked Ron. "'We know he's not coming in through Honeydukes,' said Ron dismissively. "'We'd have heard if the shop had been broken into.' Harry was glad Ron took this view. If the one-eyed witch was boarded up too, he would never be able to get back into Hogsmeade again. Ron had become an instant celebrity. For the first time in his life, people were paying more attention to him than to Harry and it was clear that Ron was rather enjoying the experience. Though still severely shaken by the night's events, he was happy to tell anyone who asked what had happened, with a wealth of detail. I was asleep, and I heard this, this ripping noise. I thought it was in my dream, you know, but then there was this draft. I woke up, and one side of the hangings on my bed had been pulled down. I rolled over, and I saw him standing over me. Like a skeleton, with loads of filthy hair, holding this great long knife, must have been twelve inches, and he looked at me, 
and I looked at him, and then I yelled, and he scampered. Why, though? Ron added to Harry as the group of second-year girls who had been listening to his chilling tale departed. Why did he run? Harry had been wondering the same thing. Why had Black, having got the wrong bed, not silenced Ron and proceeded to Harry? Black had proved twelve years ago that he didn't mind murdering innocent people, and this time he had been facing five unarmed boys, four of whom were asleep. He must have known he'd have a job getting back out of the castle once you'd yelled and woken people up, said Harry thoughtfully. He'd have had to kill the whole house to get back through the portrait hole. Then he would have met the teachers. Neville was in total disgrace. Professor McGonagall was so furious with him that she'd banned him from all future Hogsmeade visits, given him a detention, and forbidden anyone to give him the password into the tower. Poor Neville was forced to wait outside the common room every night for somebody to let him in, while the security trolls, while the security trolls leered unpleasantly at him. None of these punishments, however, came close to matching the one his grandmother had in store for him. Two days after Black's break-in, she sent Neville the very worst thing a Hogwarts student could receive over breakfast. A howler. The school owls swooped into the great hall carrying the mail as usual, and Neville choked as a huge barn owl landed in front of him, a scarlet envelope clutched in its beak. Harry and Ron, who were sitting opposite him, recognized the letter as a howler at once. Ron had got one from his mother the year before. Run for it, Neville, Ron advised. Neville didn't need telling twice. He seized the envelope and holding it before him like a bomb, sprinted out of the hall, while the Slytherin table exploded with laughter at the sight of him. They heard the howl go off. They heard the howler go off in the entrance hall. Neville's grandmother's voice, magically magnified to a hundred times its usual volume, shrieking about how he had brought shame on the whole family. Harry was too busy feeling sorry for Neville to notice immediately that he had a letter too. Hedwig got his attention by nipping him sharply on the wrist. Ouch! Oh, thanks, Hedwig. Harry tore the envelope open while Hedwig helped herself to some of Neville's cornflakes. The note inside read, Dear Harry and Ron, How about having tea with me this afternoon round six? I'll come and collect you from the castle. Wait for me in the entrance hall. You're not allowed out on your own. Cheers, Hagrid. He probably wants to hear all about Black, said Ron. So at six o'clock that afternoon, Harry and Ron left Gryffindor Tower, passed the security trolls at a run, and headed down to the entrance hall. Hagrid was already waiting for them. All right, Hagrid, said Ron. I suppose you want to hear about Saturday night, do you? Well, you've already heard all about it, said Hagrid, opening the front doors and leading them outside. Oh, said Ron, looking slightly put out. The first thing they saw on entering Hagrid's cabin was Buckbeak, who was stretched out on top of Hagrid's patchwork quilt, his enormous wings folded tight to his body, 
enjoying a large plate of dead ferrets. Averting his eyes from this unpleasant sight, Harry saw a gigantic, hairy brown suit and a very horrible yellow and orange tie hanging from the top of Hagrid's wardrobe door. "'What are they for, Hagrid?' said Harry. "'Bookbeak's case against the Committee for the Disposal of Dangerous Creatures,' said Hagrid. "'This Friday. Him and me will be going down to London together. I've booked two beds on the night bus.' Harry felt a nasty pang of guilt. He had completely forgotten that Buckbeak's... He had completely forgotten that Buckbeak's trial was so near, and judging by the uneasy look on Ron's face, he had too. They had also forgotten their promise about helping him prepare Buckbeak's defense. The arrival of the firebolt had driven it out of their minds. Hagrid poured them tea and offered them a plate of bath buns, but they knew better than to accept. They had had too much experience with Hagrid's cooking. I got something to discuss with you two, said Hagrid, sitting himself between them and looking uncharacteristically serious. What? said Harry. Hermione, said Hagrid. What about her? She's in her right state, that's what. She's been coming down here to visit me a lot since Christmas. Been feeling lonely. First you weren't talking to her because of that fireboat, now you're not talking to her because of her cat. He ate scabbers, Ron interjected angrily. Because her cat acted like all cats do, Hagrid continued doggedly. She's cried a fair few times, you know. Going through a rough time at the moment. Bitten off more than she could chew, if you ask me, all the work that she's trying to do. Still found time to help me with Buckbeak's case, mind. She's found some really good stuff for me, I reckon. I'll stand a good chance now. Hagrid, we should have helped as well. I'm sorry, Harry began awkwardly. I'm not blaming you, said Hagrid, waving Harry's apology aside. God knows you got enough to be getting on with. I've seen you practicing Quidditch every hour of the day and night, but I gotta tell you, I thought you two would value your friend more than broomsticks or rats. That's all. Harry and Ron exchanged uncomfortable looks. Really upset she was when Black nearly stabbed you, Ron. She's got her heart in the right place, Hermione has, and you two not talking to her. If she'd just get rid of that cat, I'd speak to her again, Ron said angrily. But she's still sticking up for it. It's a, a maniac. She won't hear a word against it. Ah. Uh, well... People can be a bit stupid about their pets, said Hagrid wisely. Behind him, Buckbeak spat a few ferret bones into Hagrid's pillow. They spent the rest of their visit discussing Gryffindor's improved chances for the Quidditch Cup. At nine o'clock, Harry walked them back up. No, at nine o'clock... Hagrid walked them back up to the castle. A large group of people was bunched around the bulletin board when they returned to the common room. Hogsmeade, next weekend, said Ron, craning over the heads to read the new notice. What do you reckon? He added quietly to Harry as they went to sit down. 
Well, Filch hasn't done anything about the passage into Honeydukes, Harry said, even more quietly. Harry! said a voice in his right ear. Harry started and looked around at Hermione, who was sitting at the table right behind them and clearing a space in the wall of books that had been hiding her. Harry, if you go into Hogsmeade again, I will tell Professor McGonagall about that map, said Hermione. Can you hear someone talking, Harry? growled Ron, not looking at Hermione. Ron, how can you let him go with you? After what Sirius Black nearly did to you, I mean, I'll tell... So, now you're trying to get Harry expelled, said Ron furiously. Haven't you done enough damage this year? Hermione opened her mouth to respond, but with a soft hiss, Crookshanks leapt onto her lap. Hermione took one frightened look at the expression on Ron's face, gathered up Crookshanks, and hurried away toward the girls' dormitories. So, how about it? Ron said to Harry as though there had been no interruption. Come on. Last time we went, you didn't see anything. You haven't even been inside Zonko's yet. Harry looked around to check that Hermione was well out of earshot. Okay, he said. But I'm taking the invisibility cloak this time. Chapter break. On Saturday morning, Harry packed his invisibility cloak. Mmm. Oof. I've been having such a good run of it. That word is tough. Invisibility cloak. It's tougher than you think. In my first read-through, I almost never got it right. Now, reading for you guys, uh, I've gotten it right almost every time. This may have been my first, maybe the second stumble I've had on it. Of course, if you went back and looked at the footage, I'm sure it would be more like five or six times. But, you know, I got a good record. Much better. On Saturday morning, Harry packed his invisibility cloak in his bag, slipped the Marauder's Map into his pocket, and went down to breakfast with everyone else. Hermione kept shooting suspicious looks down the table at him, but he avoided her eye and was careful to let her see him walking back up the marble staircase in the entrance hall as everybody else proceeded to the front doors. Bye, Harry called to Ron. I'll see you when you get back. Ron grinned and winked. Harry hurried up to the third floor, slipping the Marauder's Map out of his pocket as he went. Crouching behind the one-eyed witch, he smoothed it out. A tiny dot was moving in his direction. Neville's... nope. Harry squinted at it. The minuscule writing next to it read, Neville Longbottom. Harry quickly pulled out his wand, muttered, Descendium, and shoved his bag into the statue, but before he could climb in himself, Neville came around the corner. Harry, I forgot that you were going to Hogsmeade either. Hi, Neville, said Harry, moving swiftly away from the statue and pushing the map back into his pocket. What are you up to? Nothing, shrugged Neville. Want a game of exploding snap? Um, not now. I was just going to go to the library and do that vampire essay for Lupin. I'll come with you, said Neville brightly. I haven't done this either. Um, hang on. Yeah, I forgot. I 
I finished it last night. Great, you could help me, said Neville, his round face face anxious. I don't understand that thing about the garlic at all. Do they have to eat it, or...? He broke off with a small gasp, looking over Harry's shoulder. It was Snape. Neville took a quick step behind Harry. And what are you two doing here? said Snape, coming to a halt and looking from one to the other. An odd place to meet. To Harry's immense disquiet, Snape's black eyes flicked to the doorways on either side of them, and then to the one-eyed witch. We're not meeting here, said Harry. We just met here. Indeed, said Snape. We have a habit of turning up in unexpected places, Potter, and you will... You have a habit of turning up in unexpected places, Potter, and you are very rarely there for no reason. I suggest that the pair of you return to Gryffindor Tower where you belong. Harry and Neville set off without another word. As they turned the corner... Harry looked back. Snape was running one of his hands over the one-eyed witch's head, examining it closely. Harry managed to shake Neville off at the fat lady by telling him the password, then pretending he'd left his vampire essay in the library, and doubling back. Once out of sight of the security trolls, he pulled out the map again, and held it close to his nose. The third-floor corridor seemed to be deserted. Harry scanned the map carefully and saw, with a leap of relief, that the tiny dot labeled Severus Snape was now back in his office. He sprinted back to the one-eyed witch, opened her hump, heaved himself inside, and slid down to meet his bag at the bottom of the stone's chute. He wiped the marauder's map blank again, then set off at a run. Harry, completely hidden beneath the invisibility cloak, emerged into the sunlight outside Honeydukes and prodded Ron in the back. It's me, he muttered. What kept you? Ron hissed. Snape was hanging around. They set off up the high street. Where are you? Ron kept muttering out of the corner of his mouth. Are you still there? This feels weird. They went to the post office. Ron pretended to be checking the price of an owl to Bill in Egypt so that Harry could have a good look around. The owls sat hooting softly down at him, at least three hundred of them, from great greys right down to tiny little scops owls, local deliveries only, which were so small that they could have sat in the palm of Harry's hand. Then they visited Zonko's, which was so packed with students Harry had to exercise great care not to tread on anyone and cause a panic. There were jokes and tricks to fulfill even Fred and George's wildest dreams. Harry gave Ron whispered orders and passed him some gold from under the cloak. They left Zonko's with their money bags considerably lighter than they had been upon entering, but their pockets bulging with dung bombs, hiccup sweets, frog spawn soap, and a nose-biting teacup apiece. The day was fine and breezy, and neither of them felt like staying indoors, so they walked past the three broomsticks and climbed the slope to visit the Shrieking Shack, 
the most haunted dwelling in Britain. It stood a little way above the rest of the village, and even in the daylight it was slightly creepy, with its boarded windows and dank overgreen garden. By the way, I'm realizing now, the uh, picture that I've chosen for this is a... Uh, eh, not exactly appropriate for the time of the year that it is. That's all right. Um, it's possibly one of my favorite pictures I've selected for this whole thing, for all three books that I've done so far, so I don't mind it being up there. We'll just pretend it's a nice... We'll just pretend they're dressed for snow. <laughs> I believe it's springtime. I think this is the first time that I've gotten that wrong. Eh, it happens. Even the Hogwarts ghosts avoid it, said Ron, as they leaned on the fence, looking up at it. I asked nearly headless Nick. He says he's heard a very rough crowd lives here. No one can get in. Fred and George tried, obviously, but all the entrances are sealed shut. Harry, feeling hot from their climb, was just considering taking off the cloak for a few minutes when they heard voices nearby. Somebody was climbing toward the houses from the other side of the hill. Moments later, Malfoy had appeared, followed closely by Crabbe and Goyle. Malfoy was speaking. Shan't have an owl from my father any time now. He had to go to the hearing to tell them about my arm, about how I couldn't use it for three months. Crabbe and Goyle sniggered. I really wish I could hear that great hairy moron trying to defend himself. There's no arm in him, honest. That hippogriff's as good as dead. Malfoy suddenly caught sight of Ron. His pale face split in a malevolent grin. What are you doing, Weasley? Malfoy looked up at the crumbling house behind Ron. I suppose you'd love to live here, wouldn't you, Weasley? Dreaming about having your own bedroom? I heard your family all sleep in one room. Is that true? Harry seized the back of Ron's robes to stop him from leaping on Malfoy. Leave him to me, he hissed in Ron's ear. The opportunity was too perfect to miss. Harry crept silently around behind Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle, bent down, and scooped a large handful of mud out of the path. "'We were just discussing your friend Hagrid,' Malfoy said to Ron. "'Just trying to imagine what he's saying to the Committee for Disposal of Magical... Mm, disposal of Dangerous Creatures. "'Do you think he'll cry when they cut off his hippogriffs?' <laughs> "'Splat!' Malfoy's head jerked forward as the mud hit him. His silver-blonde hair was suddenly dripping in muck. What the— Ron had to hold onto the fence to keep himself standing. He was laughing so hard. Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle spun stupidly on the spot, staring wildly around, Malfoy trying to wipe his hair clean. What was that? Who did that? <laughs> Very haunted up here, isn't it? said Ron, with the air of one commenting on the weather. Crab and Goyle were looking scared. Their bulging muscles were no use against ghosts. Malfoy was staring wildly around at the deserted landscape.
Harry sneaked along the path, where a particularly sloppy puddle yielded some foul-smelling green sludge. <laughs> Splatter. Crab and Goyle caught some this time. Goyle hopped furiously on the spot, trying to rub it out of his small, dull eyes. It came from over there, said Malfoy, wiping his face and staring at a spot some six feet to the left of Harry. Crab blundered forward, his long arms outstretched like a zombie. Harry dodged around him, picked up a stick and lobbed it at Crab's back. Harry doubled up at silent laughter as Crab did a kind of pirouette in midair, trying to see who had thrown it. As Ron was the only person Crab could see, it was Ron he started toward, but Harry struck out at his leg. Crab stumbled, and his huge, flat foot caught the hem of Harry's cloak. Harry felt a great tug and the cloak slid off his face. For a split second, Malfoy stared at him. Ah! He yelled, pointing at Harry's head. Then he turned tail and ran at breakneck speed, back down the hill, Crab and Goyle behind him. Harry tugged the cloak up again, but the damage was done. Harry, Ron said, stumbling forward and staring hopelessly at the point where Harry had disappeared. You'd better run for it. If Malfoy tells anyone, you'd better get back to the castle quick. I'll see you later, said Harry, and without another word, he tore back the he tore back down the path toward Hogsmeade. Would Malfoy believe what he had seen? Would anyone believe Malfoy? Nobody knew about the invisibility cloak. Nobody except Dumbledore. Harry's stomach turned over. Dumbledore would know exactly what had happened. If Malfoy said anything. Back into Honeydukes, back down the cellar steps, across the stone floor, through the trapdoor, Harry pulled off the cloak, tucked it under his arm, and ran flat out along the passage. Malfoy would get back first. How long would it take him to find a teacher? Panting, a sharp pain in his side, Harry didn't slow down until he reached the stone slide. He would have to leave the cloak where it was. It was too much of a giveaway in case Malfoy had tipped off a teacher. He hid it in a shadowy corner, then started to climb, fast as he could, his sweaty hands slipping on the sides of the chute. He reached the inside of the witch's hump, tapped it with his wand, stuck his head through, and hoisted himself out. The hump closed, and just as Harry jumped out from behind the statue, he heard quick footsteps approaching. It was Snape. He approached Harry at a swift walk, his black robes swishing, then stopped in front of him. So, he said. There was a look of suppressed triumph about him. Harry tried to look innocent, all too aware of his sweaty face and his muddy hands, which he quickly hid in his pockets. Come with me, Potter, said Snape. Harry followed him downstairs, trying to wipe his hands clean on the inside of his robes without Snape noticing. They walked down the stairs to the dungeons, and then into Snape's office. Harry had been in here only once before, and he had been in very serious trouble then, too. 
Snape had acquired a few more slimy, horrible things in jars since last time, all standing on shelves behind his desk, glinting in the firelight and adding to the threatening atmosphere. Sit, said Snape. Harry sat. Snape, however, remained standing. Mr. Malfoy has just been to see me with a very strange story, Potter, said Snape. Harry didn't say anything. He tells me that he was up by the shrieking shack when he ran into Weasley, apparently alone. Still, Harry didn't speak. Mr. Malfoy states that he was standing, talking to Weasley when a large amount of mud hit him in the back of the head. How do you think that could have happened? Harry tried... Harry tried to look mildly surprised. I don't know, Professor. Snape's eyes were boring into Harry's. It was exactly like trying to stare down a hippogriff. Harry tried hard not to blink. Mr. Malfoy then saw an extraordinary apparition. Can you imagine what it might have been, Potter? No, said Harry, trying to sound innocently curious. It was your head, Potter, floating in mid-air. There was a long silence. Maybe he'd better go and see Madame Pomfrey, said Harry. If he's seeing things like... What would your head have been doing in Hogsmeade, Potter? said Snape softly. Your head is not allowed in Hogsmeade. No part of your body has permission to be in Hogsmeade. I know that, said Harry, striving to keep his face free of guilt or fear. It sounds like Malfoy's having hallucination. Malfoy is not having hallucinations, snarled Snape, and he bent down a hand on each arm of Harry's chair so that their faces were a foot apart. If your head was in Hogsmeade, so was the rest of you. I've been up in Gryffindor Tower, said Harry, like you told- Can anyone confirm this? Harry didn't say anything. Snape's thin mouth curled into a horrible smile. So, he said straightening up again. Everyone from the Minister of Magic downward has been trying to keep the famous Harry Potter safe from Sirius Black, but famous Harry Potter is a law unto himself. Let the ordinary people worry about his safety. Famous Harry Potter goes where he wants to, with no thought of the consequences. Harry stayed silent. Snape was trying to provoke him into telling the truth. He wasn't going to do it. Snape had no proof. Yet. How extraordinarily like your father you are, Potter, Snape said suddenly, his eyes glinting. He too was exceedingly arrogant. A small amount of talent on the Quidditch field made him think he was a cut above the rest of us, too strutting around the place with his friends and admirers. The resemblance between you is uncanny. 
My dad didn't strut, said Harry, before he could stop himself. And neither do I. Your father didn't much store by rules either. Oh, excuse me. Your father didn't set much store by rules either, Snape went on, pressing his advantage, his thin face full of malice. Rules were for lesser mortals, not Quidditch cup winners. His head was so swollen. Shut up! Harry was suddenly on his feet. Rage such as he had not felt since his last night in Privet Drive was coursing through him. He didn't care that Snape's face had gone rigid, his black eyes flashing dangerously. What did you say to me, Potter? I told you to shut up about my dad! Harry yelled. I know the truth, all right? He saved your life, Dumbledore told me. You wouldn't even be here if it weren't for my dad. Snape's sallow skin had gone the color of sour milk. And did the headmaster tell you the circumstances in which your father saved me? He whispered. Or did he consider the details too unpleasant for precious Potter's delicate ears? Harry bit his lip. He didn't know what had happened and didn't want to admit it, but Snape seemed to have guessed the truth. I would hate for you to run away with a false idea of your father, Potter, he said, a terrible grin twisting his face. Have you been imagining some act of glorious heroism? Then let me correct you. Your saintly father and his friends played a highly amusing joke on me. That would have resulted in my death if your father hadn't gotten cold feet at the last moment. There was nothing brave about what your father did. He was saving his own skin as much as mine. Had the joke succeeded, he would have been expelled from Hogwarts. Snape's uneven, yellowish teeth were bared. Turn out your pockets, Potter, he spat suddenly. Harry didn't move. There was a pounding in his ears. Turn out your pockets or we go straight to the headmaster. Pull them out, Potter. Cold with dread, Harry slowly pulled out the bag of Zonko's tricks and the Marauder's map. Snape picked up the Zonko's bag. Ron gave them to me, said Harry, praying he'd get a chance to tip Ron off before Snape saw him. He brought them back from Hogsmeade the last time. Indeed. And you've been carrying them around ever since. Now, very touching. And what is this? Snape had picked up the map. Harry tried with all his might to keep his face impassive. Spare bit of parchment, he said with a shrug. Snape turned it over, his eyes on Harry. Surely you don't need such a very old piece of parchment, he said. Why don't I just 
throw this away. His hand moved toward the fire. No! Harry said quickly. So, said Snape, his long nostrils quivering, is this another treasured gift from Mr. Weasley, or is it something else? A letter, perhaps, written in invisible ink, or instructions to get into Hogsmeade without passing the Dementors. Harry blinked. Snape's eyes gleamed. Let me see. Let me see. He muttered, taking out his wand and smoothing the map on his desk. Reveal your secret, he said, touching the wand to the parchment. Nothing happened. Harry clenched his hands to stop them from shaking. Show yourself, Snape said, tapping the map sharply. It stayed blank. Harry was taking deep, calming breaths. Professor Severus Snape, master of this school, commands you to yield the information that you conceal, Snape said, hitting the map with his wand. As though an invisible hand were writing upon it, words appeared on the smooth surface of the map. Mr. Mooney presents his compliments to Professor Snape and begs him to keep his abnormally large nose out of other people's business. Snape froze. Harry stared, dumbstruck, at the message. But the map didn't stop there. More writing was appearing beneath the first. Mr. Prongs agrees with Mr. Mooney and would like to add that Professor Snape is an ugly git. It would have been very funny if the situation hadn't been so serious. And there was more. Mr. Padfoot would like to register his astonishment that an idiot like Snape could ever become a professor. Harry closed his eyes in horror. When he opened them, the map had had its last word. Mr. Wormtail bids Professor Snape good day and advises him to wash his hair, the slime ball. Harry waited for the blow to fall. So, said Snape softly, we'll see about this. He strode across to his fire, seized a fistful of glittering powder from a jar on the fireplace, and threw it into the flames. Lupin, Snape called into the fire, I want a word. Utterly bewildered, Harry stared at the fire. A large shape had appeared in it, revolving very fast. Seconds later, Professor Lupin was clambering out of the fireplace, brushing ash off his shabby robes. You called, Severus? said Lupin mildly. I certainly did, said Snape, his face contorted with fury as he strode back to his desk. I have just asked Professor. I have just asked Potter to empty his pockets. He was carrying this. Snape pointed at the parchment, on which the words of Messrs. Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs were still shimmering. An odd, closed expression appeared on Lupin's face. 
Well, said Snape. Lupin continued to stare at the map. Harry had the impression that Lupin was doing some very quick thinking. Well, said Snape again. This parchment is plainly full of dark magic. This is supposed to be your area of expertise, Lupin. Where do you imagine Potter got such a thing? Lupin looked up, and by the merest half-glance in Harry's direction, warned him not to interrupt. Full of dark magic? He repeated mildly. Do you really think so, Severus? It looks to me as though it is merely a piece of parchment that insults anybody who reads it. Childish, but surely not dangerous, I imagine Harry got it from a joke shop. Indeed, said Snape. His jaw had gone rigid with anger. You think a joke shop could supply him with such a thing? You don't think it more likely that he got it directly from the manufacturers? Harry didn't understand what Snape was talking about. Nor, apparently, did Lupin. You mean by Mr. Wormtail or one of these people? He said. Harry, do you know any of these men? No, said Harry quickly. You see, Severus, said Lupin, turning back to Snape. It looks like a Zonko product to me. Right on cue, Ron came bursting into the office. He was completely out of breath and stopped just short of Snape's desk, clutching the stitch in his chest and trying to speak. <sighs> Agoo, Harry, that stuff... He choked. Bought it in Zonkos uh, ages ago. Well, said Lupin, clapping his hands together and looking around cheerfully. That seems to clear that up. Severus, I'll take this back, shall I? He folded the map and tucked it into his robes. Harry, Ron, come with me. I need a word about my vampire essay. Excuse us, Severus. Harry didn't dare look at Snape as they left his office. He, Ron, and Lupin went all the way back into the entrance hall before speaking. Then Harry turned to Lupin. Professor, I... I don't want to hear explanations, said Lupin shortly. He glanced around at the empty entrance hall and lowered his voice. I happen to know that this map was confiscated by Mr. Filch many years ago. Yes, I know that it's a map, he said, as Harry and Ron looked amazed. I don't want to know how it fell into your possession. I am, however, astounded that you didn't hand it in. Particularly after what happened last time, a student left information about the castle lying around. And I can't let you have it back, Harry. Harry had expected that, and was too keen for explanations. Harry had expected that, and was too keen for explanations to protest. But why did Snape think that I got it from the manufacturers? Because, 
Lupin hesitated. Because these map-makers would have wanted to lure you out of the school. They'd think it extremely entertaining. Do you know them? said Harry, impressed. We've met, he said shortly. He was looking at Harry more seriously than ever. Don't expect me to cover up for you again, Harry. I cannot make you take Sirius Black seriously, but I would have thought what you heard when the Dementors draw near you would have had more of an effect on you. Your parents gave their lives to keep you alive, Harry. A poor way to repay them. Gambling their sacrifice bag of magic tricks. He walked away, leaving Harry feeling worse by far than he had at any point in Snape's office. Slowly, he and Ron mounted the marble staircase. As Harry passed the one-eyed witch, he remembered the invisibility cloak. It was still down there, but he didn't dare. It was still down there, but he didn't dare go and get it. Looks like the stream cut for a moment there. Let me know if there's anything missing. It's my fault, said Ron abruptly. I persuaded you to go. Lupin's right. It was stupid. We shouldn't have done it. He broke off. They reached the corridor where the security trolls were pacing, and Hermione was walking toward them. One look at her face convinced Harry that she had heard what had happened. His heart plummeted. Had she told Professor McGonagall? Oh, have you come just to have a good gloat? said Ron savagely as she stopped in front of them. What have you just been to tell on us? said Hermione. She was holding a letter in her hands, and her lip was trembling. I just... I thought you ought to know. Hagrid lost his case. Buckbeak is going to be executed. That is the end of chapter 14. They do have some good cliffhangers in here, don't they? I thought the stream went pretty well. Now, as usual, if you've got any questions, comments, concerns, anything you want to talk about from the chapter, go ahead and put it in chat. I'm probably just going to... I'm just going to ramble for a little bit. Um, we're doing one chapter today. That's it. Um, like I said, for anybody, you know coming into this a little bit late we're not going to be on next week week after that is going to be the one year anniversary so <laughs> i don't know what that was um but i'm very excited about that i am pleased that we've made it this far i i was concerned i didn't know if the internet would be able to support this at times it has not uh, i didn't know i didn't know what kind of steam i would have to get this to continue this but it has been a lot of fun and i've really enjoyed it so far i look forward to continuing in the future
I, I, I was I was fairly certain I was not going to get through the first book, but not only did the first book read much quicker than I thought, but we kept plugging along all the way through book one, all the way through book two, and now um, more than halfway through book three. I think we're at uh, about, let's see. We are at, we are almost exactly at the two-thirds mark through book three, but 65% of the way. So I am, I'm very pleased with that. Rachel says, that was such a good stream. Thank you very much, Rachel. I appreciate it. I thought it went well. I really enjoy those moments where I get to really get in with the voices. And uh, Snape started off rough today. I think we figured him out by the end. Um, but that little, that little uh, interaction, the little scene with... Snape, Harry, Lupin, and Ron at the end there. I really enjoyed that. Rachel says she loved it. Thank you very much for watching. I'm super glad that you loved it. By the way, I realize it's not practical in the least to watch the streams on the, uh, the new TV downstairs, but uh, I still am curious if you've tried it. Anyway. Um, Rachel asks, why was Snape defending Malfoy towards the beginning of the chapter? I think Snape always kind of defends Malfoy. I think, uh, you know, first of all, they, uh, Malfoy being a Slytherin, you know, perhaps a Slytherin, probably one of the Slytherins with the most family ties. Um, his family's got a lot of money, blah, blah, blah. And Snape is the head of Slytherin House. You know, McGonagall is the head of Gryffindor. Snape is the head of Slytherin. So that's one thing. But I think also... I don't know. I don't know. I was going to say that I think Snape sees a lot of himself in Malfoy, but I don't know that that's true. The more that we learn about Snape later on uh, indicates that perhaps he's not so much like Malfoy. Honestly, I think it comes down to the deep, deep feud between Snape and uh, Harry's father. We're going to learn more about it later, but um, it's been a long time. And so Snape has unfortunately not dealt with his issues with Harry's father in a healthy way. Maybe that's what I'll talk about. The, uh, the issues between Harry's father, James, and Snape. James Potter undoubtedly did some things that weren't right. So none of this is about excusing people who have wronged you. None of it's about uh, denying that wrong things were done. But as you can see from Snape, He's carried it with him this whole time. Think about that as you are, uh, you know, going forward in your life. Think about when things, when people have done wrong things to you. That's a kind of power that they have over you, just for that moment where they've done the wrong thing, right? And I think we've talked about this before, but by holding on to that, 
by continuing to be angry, by continuing to let it dictate how you feel about that person, dictate how you go through life, how you treat other people, you know, in this case, how Snape treats Harry, even though he hated Harry before he even met Harry. That's a kind of power that you're just putting out into the ether. You're just relinquishing it. That's a power that you should have. You should have the power to decide for yourself how you feel about other people, how you're going to treat other people, how you're going to live your life. And by holding on to things like that, and again, this is not about, about claiming that no wrong was done. The wrong was done. But by holding on to it and staying angry, you're taking power that you should have over your life and just shoving it out into the universe. But uh, to circle back to your question, I think Malfoy showed some signs early on of being perhaps, um, there's a concept in, in literature called a foil, which is uh, another character. These, these, uh, a, a foil would be a character as it relates to another character. So um, it's another character who is the opposite in a lot of ways. Or in some ways. Um, and a lot of times they're used to illustrate kind of two paths someone could have taken. But in this case, think about, you know, Dumbledore and Voldemort. Two very, very powerful individuals. One has chosen to be, you know, at its, at its, at its most basic, one has chosen to be good. One has chosen to be selfish. But I think in this case, Malfoy is kind of a foil to Harry. They both came from perfectly reasonable families. Um, this is in terms of, you know, the, the, the family's uh, means. You know, it's not, like, it's not like one of the families was, you know, uh, impoverished or something or, uh, you know, broken at the beginning, but they both have parents who care deeply, deeply for them. Um, And they both come to school in, not in similar states, but they, they come to school with similar opportunities before them. And we see time and time again, the ways in which Malfoy chooses to do selfish things. We're going to be hearing a lot more about Malfoy later on. And he has a story arc that I think is fascinating. Um, but as we continue to go, we see Harry doing things that... They're less selfish at times. Generally less selfish. But we see all the points where he's tempted, like Malfoy has been tempted. And he doesn't give in to the same temptation to be selfish like Malfoy does. Or to be fearful like Malfoy is. Um, that's another incredibly important thing to talk about, which I hope we can address later on. I don't know what a good chapter to do it is going to be. I think it's probably going to end up being book five, where we talk more about that. But just to cue it up, I guess. There's fear with a lowercase f. 
Um, and that is the fear of, you know, just being scared about what's immediately around you, scared of, 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 uh, you know, scared of the dark, fear of, fear of the dark, fear of snakes, fear of things that you know to be dangerous to you. And then there's fear with a capital F. And before I talk too deeply on this, I've, I probably should organize my thoughts a little bit better, but. I just want to set up for you the idea that there there are kind of two kinds of fear. There's the immediate fear, the lowercase fear, the one that that makes sense, and it um, it's based on evidence essentially, evidence that you have that things are dangerous. There's the you know fear of you know running across an interstate during peak traffic hours. That's something that you should be afraid of. But then there's this strange, different uppercase fear. And it's a fear based on ignorance and a refusal to understand things. Like I said, I'll talk more about it later, but it's a fear that drives Malfoy. Um, there's a fear of not being the best. There's a fear of not being important. And it connects back to another thing which I say a lot, which is that, and I'm not going to go into it now, we'll go into it some other time, but uh, I really believe that you can't live life according to principles of negatives. You have to live according to principles of affirmatives. What I mean by that is, instead of deciding that your life will be operated by the principles of I, I, I must not be less than the best or I must be, you know, I'm, I mustn't, uh, hmm. I mustn't become, you know, like for, for Malfoy, I mustn't become my father. I mustn't, uh, let somebody else beat me in the case of Harry. Um, You're going to live your whole life running away from that thing which you've decided not to be. Instead of living by something positive, something affirmative, which is something to move toward. Like I said, I'm not going to go into it now, but it's a little bit like getting on a plane in Chicago and saying, well, I'm not going to New York. You can kind of end up anywhere. And there are places worse than New York. <laughs> I think that's where we're going to call it tonight. Thank you very much for watching. Um, it's been lovely. And I just want to, you know, reaffirm for any of you, if you turn this thing on so that you can fall asleep to it, you're using it right. If you're turning it on to come in and join the discussion, you're doing it right. If you are here just because you love Harry Potter and you've missed the books or you've never read the books yourself before, you're doing it right. Any of those are incredibly valid, and uh, I welcome you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening or watching. And I hope you have an excellent week. Hope you have an excellent two weeks. Uh, as I said, I'm not going to be around next week um, for travel. But then the week after that, one year anniversary. Um, I've got a couple of <laughs> I've got a couple of funny, exciting things that I've got planned. <laughs> I'm excited about them. It's going to be goofy, but it's going to be fun. Um, but it's 
things I've got planned for the streams here. All right. Thank you very much. Have a great two weeks.